0: warrior There was few that prayed like Wesley. And he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And beside his bed, you could tour it hundreds of years later, beside his bed were holes worn in the floor where Wesley would kneel and he would pray. Hundreds of years later, they preserved the floor to see where he would pray. And his knees wore spaces in the floor. And the students all went and had a chance to see this. And Dr. Orr then loaded up all the students and took them back to the bus and realized that they were missing a student. There was one who had not returned. From the bus. And so Professor Orr went back up into that room where John Wesley lived and where John Wesley prayed and found a student with his knees in those very spots on the ground where Wesley had worn out two centuries before, praying fervently, Lord, do it again, do it again, do it again in 1940. Dr. Orr said, Billy, we need to get going. That student was Billy Graham, who put his knees in the worn spaces of prayer from centuries before John Wesley would pray. And he prayed, do it again, do it again, do it again. And now 80 years later, we celebrate the life of men like Billy Graham and all that has come from simple worn-out holes in the floor Lord, do it again. Quite remarkable. Dedicate 2020. This 21 days of prayer and fasting that we find ourselves in is an invitation from Jesus. It's not a mandate. We talked about this last week, but it's so important. Dedicate 2020 is not a mandate. It's an invitation from Jesus to follow him into quiet spaces, to establish patterns of work and patterns of rest, it's our resolve to silence the noise, to drink from the deep, to increase our awareness of the presence of God in our midst. And it's for us to do as he did. Do as the Father did. And so for some deeper biblical direction concerning this, this process and this practice of fasting, I'd encourage you to go back. If you didn't have a chance to listen to our message about fasting last week, that's on our podcast um, I addressed last week that my greatest fear in going to, into seasons like this uh, is that uh, the idea of prayer and fasting would actually take us further away from Jesus and not draw us closer to him because it becomes just another religious exercise that we skip. You ever skip something and you're like, oh, I should go back and do that. Oh, I should go back. Oh, I haven't read all the devotions that Foursquare sent out and I've only read three out of 12 or whatever it is so far, so forget it. Oh, I'm not praying good enough. I'm not good enough at that. I'm not fasting. I ate breakfast. And I, didn't forget. I can't do it. And it just, it just draws us further away from the heart of God because his heart, his heart is for who we are, not what we do primarily. And when we can just grasp that anytime as we're growing, as we're practicing faith, as we're growing as disciples, moving into that space and growing as people who desire the Word. I was talking to Zach not too long ago at the beginning of the year. He goes, I want to pray this year. I want to pray. Where when I met Zach, he was like, I probably should pray. It's a process. It's a practice. But we move into those spaces, deeper and deeper into those places where our desires are changed by him over time. But my greatest fear is that we would just move further away from God as seeing prayer and fasting as a religious practice. But it's an experience. It's not a religious exercise, although it runs the risk of becoming one. We turn to these spaces so God can recalibrate the way that we think and receive the new things that he has for us this year. And this is important as I thought about that this week. Every good what. Like, what are we going to do? Every good what needs a why. If there's a good what, it has a reason behind it. And if there's no reason, we probably shouldn't be doing it. It's what leads to religious practices. So everything we do, as we look at our own practices of faith, gathering as a community, praying, reading the Word, being generous, receiving forgiveness, and offering it to others. Why are we doing that? We ask ourselves again and again, why do we do it? So I've been asking myself even... 12 days into this season of prayer and fasting, why seasons of increased prayer and fasting? Why are we even doing this? I know for myself, as I studied this week and just reflected on my own heart, I realized that these disciplines in my life increase the awareness of my limitations and dependency on Jesus. I'm more aware of how limited I am, and I'm more aware of my consumption patterns. Because when I'm in a, in a season of over-consuming, anyone ever get into those spaces where we're just consuming too much of everything? Consumption tricks me into thinking that I am able to sustain myself because I don't feel need. Because I'm always just filling up those spaces. So how would I know that I'm limited if I can meet all my needs? It's a challenge that most of us face as we follow Jesus in North America where affluence and apathy just choke us out. When Hal goes and meets with men who are of greater age than he and of greater financial worth than he, and he sits in these spaces and the Lord gives him influence, he has men who say, why do I even need your Jesus? And Hal faithfully walks with these men, and as they get closer and closer to the end of their lives, they're saying, okay, hey, Hal, what? What again? This is what's happening when Hal meets with men during the week. Tell me about this Jesus. Jesus. Because I'm realizing as my body fails me in the end, I can't sustain myself. So when I deny myself consumption, I get to experience things like hunger and thirst. And if we're doing a media fast, boredom (laughs) and silence. Boredom and silence are good things. Fasting is my choice to run towards what I'm normally running away from. Running towards what Jesus has to offer me. And when I overconsume, I'm running away from all of that. When I afflict myself, as the book of Leviticus talked about last week, I'm more readily aware of my limitations and my dependence on Him. Man does not live on bread alone. This has been my mantra when I've been hungry. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God that's uttered first by Moses in Deuteronomy 8.3 and then proclaimed by Jesus in Matthew 4.4 4, when the devil was tempting him with substance in the desert. And he said, I don't need that right now. I'm listening to the Father. I'm trying to clear everything out so his voice is clear. And he pulled that from the word. As I was thinking about this, I I drew a visual in my journal this week. I want to put it up here on the screen. Limitations. Independence open the door to vulnerability. When I'm vulnerable, it leads to greater senses of humility because I'm exposed and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, maybe I don't have this together all on my own. With humility comes clarity. I can see more clearly when I have an accurate view of who I am in Christ, which is just His. And when I'm clear about being humble, it leads to meekness, which is just an accurate self-view. I see myself as a beloved child of God who is desperately in need of His grace. Meekness. Blessed are the meek. Meekness leads to sorrow when I grieve the depths of my sin and brokenness. Sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance leads to renewal. But for me, what I realized in the season of prayer and fasting is that it begins with limitation. It begins with denying myself, afflicting myself, doing something. Not for religious exercise so I can chuck off 21 boxes in a row, but for renewal. The renewal of my mind. Behold, I'm doing a new thing in you. I need new wineskins. I'm giving you something new for 2020, and the old package won't hold it any longer. That's why. This is why. It doesn't have to be everybody's why. But the reason why I get quiet is to find stuff like this and let it guide me in my pursuits. So, it's important to know that these fleshy kind of consumptions will never fully satisfy. Now, there isn't anything wrong with satisfying our flesh sometimes. God gave us reasons to do that as long as all those reasons remain submitted to the Holy Spirit. So eat and drink and enjoy, just not as an end to itself. When Jesus went and he ate and he drank, it wasn't, it wasn't just for that. It was for relationship with guys like Matthew who were so filthy and dirty and felt so far from Jesus. He went and he ate and he engaged in their practices. He did that submitted to Jesus. If you've got a friend and he wants to go have a drink at the bar and have a beer, go have it. But have it submitted to Jesus. Right, coming from a guy that doesn't drink because I got alcoholism runs in my family, but that's okay. Do everything submitted to Him, but enjoy and be merry. Does that make sense? There's a tension and a balance in there, but it's all submitted to Jesus, all submitted to Him. So the goal for us in this series, this three week series, this dedicate 2020 is to provide us with an opportunity for each of us to reflect on our own practices. What am I doing in faith? First, to consider how both prayer and fasting can enhance intimacy in our relationship with Jesus. That's what it's for. We want to get closer to Jesus. So, my time over the last 11 days last week's message, this week's message, probably next week's message is just coming, it's just kind of coming right out of my own personal time with the Lord. I don't even know exactly what I'm going to say next week. Usually, I'm more calculated than that. I went away with some pastors this week to. Camino Island, we planned out teaching for the entire year. It's very planned. But right now, right now, I'm just like, God, give me what I need and let me share that. So over these past 11 days, as I've been in the gospels, I've been struck by Jesus's propensity to get away to lonely places. I've just seen that more. Sometimes we go to the word and God just shows us something different. I'm like, man, Jesus was like getting away from people a lot. He was straying from the herd. You saw that picture that we had up there. I was thinking through the series, and I went down to Spotted Cow in the Mill Creek Town Center. It's a little cow right there that says, straying from the herd. I'm like, Jesus did that? (laughs) A lot. He strayed away frequently. What I've realized as I've reflected upon this is that intimacy with the Father was a non-negotiable for Jesus. It was like, I'm doing that. You can't even talk me out of it. I'm just going to do it. Jesus spoke of this intimacy with the Father in the Gospel of John on multiple occasions. He says in John 5.19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing. Even Jesus Himself could do nothing by Himself. It says He can do only what He sees the Father doing because what the Father does, the Son also does. John fifteen six through 7 Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nada, nothing, zip, zilch, shh, nothing, apart from me. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words, my words, my words remain in you. Ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. We get really excited about that until we start spending time in the word and our desires just shift. And all of a sudden we're asking for crazy things like help everybody else, Lord, and sustain me. When our desires get submitted to Jesus, he'll give it to us because it's not about us. It's about him. So beyond these stated convictions that Jesus lays out in the Gospel of John about finding solitude and seeking out lonely spaces, straying from the herd to be with the Father, it was also a practiced and observable value. This practice was recorded in the Gospels on many, many occasions, including the book of Mark. But Jesus sought solitude for different reasons. He had whys behind the what's also. It wasn't like, whoops, 3 o'clock, better go sit by myself for a while. He had reasons why he went away. Sometimes he went away to grieve. Hmm. God grieving. Can you imagine that? When his buddy Lazarus died. It says he went away to grieve. Right before he began, Jesus was graduating from Bible college, right? When he was getting baptized, all the rest of that. Remember that? Remember when Jesus was graduating from Bible college? You guys don't remember? And student loans and all the rest. The Holy Spirit paid him off. So. He went out into the desert, it said, to prepare himself for the ministry. He got away to be tempted and to show the devil who was boss because of the word. He got away for 40 days before he went into the ministry. Right before he chose his disciples, it says that Jesus got away and prayed through the night when he was making important decisions about leadership Hmm. management. Imagine that. He got away with the Father. Following intense seasons of prayer and deliverance, we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. In the midst of that, he got away with the Father to find power to overcome desires of his flesh before dying on the cross. Jesus battled that the night before he went to the cross. I don't want to do this, Lord. I don't want to do this. But not my will, your will. He, where was he working that out? He was alone with the Father. Intimacy with Jesus was a non. Intimacy with the Father was a non-negotiable for Jesus, and I like the good news of Jesus recorded in Mark because out of the four Gospels, it's the go-getter Gospel account. It just moves. It's fast. It's full of life, and for those that struggle with ADD, we just keep moving. We're just one activity to the next. It's kind of like me. I have a hard time sitting still. It's the shortest gospel, which is kind of cool because I like reading short books. Uh, And and it gets right to the heart of the things that Jesus did. That's what the gospel of Mark does. It's what sets that gospel apart. Mark opens with John the Baptist called repentance out of Isaiah. And then he skips entirely over the birth story. That's why you never hear birth story out of the gospel of Mark because it just isn't there for Jesus. He gives a quick nod to the baptism, to the time of testing in the wilderness, and the calling of the 12 disciples. He covers all three of those stories in 12 verses. He's just right through it. And although Mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, like Matthew was and John was, he did travel with his cousin Barnabas With the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journey recorded in Acts 13. Mark was there. The gospel writer was there. And history records that Mark was an assistant to Peter. That he followed Peter around. And he would have undoubtedly heard firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus with great detail. Can you imagine how many stories you'd have to share if you were one of Jesus' disciples for the rest of your life? And, And Mark... The young man just sat under Peter. As Peter would unfold and tell these stories, and and Mark, although he wasn't there with Jesus, experienced the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit on these missionary journeys, he also dealt with doubt and fear. And for a season, the Apostle Paul said he couldn't come along anymore because he was such a chicken. But he still wrote one of the four gospel accounts, so I guess God uses everybody. Somewhere between 55 AD and 59 AD, they believe that this book was written, that Mark decided that he would record these stories, write them down for the benefit of other people. I pray and I hope that someday, maybe if they don't get too bored, that my kids would read some of my journal entries, write things down, tell of the faithfulness and the goodness of God in your life, because that's why people believe they believe because they have seen it happen. At 8.45, a group of us gathered and prayed in this room this morning, and everyone was given the opportunity to give an account for the greatest thing they'd ever seen God did. And most people talked about physical healings. God's still doing it. He's still doing the things He did before. It was our our entire worship set was built upon this morning. Mark was writing to Christians in Rome. Jewish and Gentile Christians. He was writing to convey to them who Jesus was, what he did, and why it was so revolutionary for the time. He was a Jewish Messiah that came. And he turned over all or most of the Jewish traditions to reveal the heart of God again. That's what Jesus did. What did he do? He just flipped everything on its head. Last week we talked about Jesus as one who breaks bad. Just means breaks away from what we do all the time because we just do it. Jesus broke the bad rules. He broke the rules that kept people distant from God. And he affirmed everything else that kept us close to him. Jesus was a rebel rouser a little bit. I kind of like that about him. He kept people on their toes. But he said, flip your traditions over. You've lost sight of who he is. So even though the pace of Jesus' ministry was rapid, and it was... Stillness, solitude, straying from the herd was a must for Jesus. Mark 1.35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, <laughs> can we all picture that? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's what stuck out to me the most in the 10 or 12 or more verses that talk about Jesus getting away in the Gospels. This one, very early in the morning while it was still dark. This, by the way, was Sunday morning. And based on Jesus' Saturday, I'm amazed that he even woke up. Jesus was in a town called Capernaum, which was not far from Nazareth, which is the town that he was born in, or not born in, but was raised in. We can see here a map. The Sea of Galilee right in the middle follows all the way down the Jordan River to Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. And Jesus would travel frequently between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. But most of his ministry happened up by the lake. Not a bad place to do some ministry. Here's some pictures of modern-day Capernaum. You can see it right up there, kind of about 10 o'clock on the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum. This is the town that Jesus was ministering in at the time. And I imagine at this early hour, the momentous events of the previous day would have flooded Jesus' mind. Ever have a really busy day? And you wake up the next morning, and that's when you start to unpack what happened. What was all of that? Get a little distance. Get some perspective. And there in Capernaum, on the north northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus went to pray. Because on Saturday, this was Sunday, let's go back to Saturday, which we'll find in Mark one beginning in verse 1 and moving forward. We won't do all of this now. I'll just summarize it. But on the morning of the Sabbath, the day before, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues as it was recorded. It says he was teaching as one who had authority, not like their normal teachers. Those who fell into the regular rhythms of this is how we've always done it, and here's 900 rules that we need to follow. He said, I come with authority. And people recognized the authority that he came with. What kind of authority? Well, He recognized what was taking place. He addressed it. It says the demons recognized him. And then Jesus drove out the demons. It says that people were amazed that morning in the synagogue and that news of Jesus spread across the region. That afternoon, it says in the next section, he went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Because Simon's mother-in-law, this is Peter, was sick in bed with a fever. So they went there after church some of us go to lunch he went to their house Jesus it says helped her up and she was healed and as soon as she was healed she started waiting on those that were there she was healed and went to work imagine that she was healed and responded in faith and hospitality and generosity healing is for others our healing is for others that evening, it says, Mark records that at sunset, which is really important because this was the conclusion of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was celebrated from Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown. And so all the good faithful Jews that were doing it the right way waited to come to Jesus until the sun went down. Do you think Jesus would have cared if they'd come right away? But they waited. And then it says that they rushed peter's mother-in-law's house and they were all gathered out there beyond the door and jesus healed many of them so that's a saturday he went to church he went to heal somebody and then he healed people into the night sounds like a 12 to 14 hour day sounds like jesus was working overtime and then very early in the morning after all of that, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, again I said I'm surprised he even got up, but he got up and he went to pray. And this is where the rubber hits the road for me, and I'm still growing as a disciple of Jesus. I asked myself this question, if intimacy with the Father was such a non-negotiable practice for Jesus, the Son of God himself, why do sometimes I think that it's not So important for me because I got stuff to do. I'd be nice. I'll get to that tomorrow. I'm so busy right now. The the Lord's doing so much. I just got to keep working. But what Jesus modeled for us was resting. But sometimes we got to rest very early in the morning. And when this text says that Jesus got up early, it means that he got up early. It's like get up early, take your friend to the flight at SeaTac, the 6 a.m. flight. That kind of early. The fourth watch of the night it refers to, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., that Jesus was up. This fourth watch of the night, very interesting. It's the same time when Jacob wrestled with God before God changed his name to Israel. Same time. It's when Samuel, the one who would anoint King David, was called by God for the first time. Samuel. Samuel, three times and then a fourth time. Yes, God, I'm listening. In the fourth watch of the night, same time when Jesus would walk out on water to meet with his disciples, same time when Peter would be miraculously freed from prison in the book of Acts. Funny what's going on between 3 and 6 a.m. And this is when Jesus was up to pray. It was still. It was very dark. And Jesus got a drop on the day before he could get a drop on him. Right? He was ready, waiting, prepared. All the power to do what Jesus did came from the time that he spent alone with the Father. That's why the passage is in John. I do only what I see the Father doing. Apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. All of these things is why it's why we pray and fast, because if we want power, it comes from him. It's why we worship in here, not for an hour to fill this room with pretty music, which is nice. It's for Thursday at 437 p.m. Whatever breaks loose. That's why we gather here. You want to ask your friend? Why do you even gather there? Let me tell you. Can I tell you about some of the struggles I got in my life? That's why I gather there. It's necessary for me. Because when I gather there, and when I seek the Lord, and I get clarity, and it reveals my sorrow, which leads me to repentance, which leads me to renewal, Is why you even want to spend time with me in the first place. I got like six non-Christian men right now that I'm trying to find time to spend time with. And I'm prioritizing it. And I'm just letting them see the hope of my life. I met one with, with one this week who's, who is strayed from the Lord. I'd still say kicking around the edges. But we got together. I didn't even need to talk. Well, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about your Bible reading. No. What's important to you right now? Let's just talk about it because the presence of Jesus lives in me. And while there is urgency, we need to give it space and time for people to walk their process, to build trust and keep going. That's why I came this morning. Because i got these six men right now. Who's the, who are the men, who are the women in your life that are curious? How are we prioritizing those people in relationship? So here he is, praying, getting all the power, and there the tension resides. Because in verse 36, it says, Simon and his companions, back to Luke, sorry, back to Mark 1, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. Imagine that. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody's looking for you! <laughs> Anyone got kids in the house? Little ones? Try and shut the door? Man, just get a minute, right? Mom! Dad! <sighs> can't breathe, right? I can't. Oh, it's a space. Jesus dealt with this tension. I really think he did. I don't think it stressed him out like it stressed me out, but there was a tension there. He had to negotiate time with the Father and time with everyone is looking for you. This tension between work and rest is a real thing. And I rarely manage it well when I'm not prioritizing Jesus. (laughs) I told somebody this week, I feel like I practice my spiritual disciplines like a really good batting average. A really good batting average. If you're hitting 312, 31 point... No, help me. If you're you're doing it three times out of ten, that's a really good batting average. (laughs) Encouraged if you feel like you're batting three out of ten in your in your practices. Because it's gonna continue to grow. Sometimes I bat three out of ten at keeping Jesus. If I'm looking at my priorities, I'm I'm right about three out of ten times. Doesn't mean I'm not working on it, but I got it how I want it. Three out of ten. Keep trying, keep practicing. Because there's a lot that Jesus can do with the little that we give him. A lot. And I hate limits. I've told you that. I hate limits. I hate patience. I hate those things. And so I've been taking all that stuff to Jesus. And I'm learning that nothing tames the test, nothing tames the flesh faster than self imposed limitation. That's why 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to afflict myself, I'm going to do something so that I can see Jesus more clearly. That's why I'm doing these things. So I've got a little excerpt from my journal that I want to share with you, Zach, if you can throw that up there. This is, uh, this is from day one of the fast. And I shared some things that I wrote last week. But at the conclusion of some of these wrestlings with limitations, this wrote day one. Who's in charge? Who's in charge? We're, we're down to this, right? If I'm following in the rippling wake of Jesus dipping blades in the still surfaces of the deep, resting paddles and repeating, what do I see Jesus doing? What do I see him doing? I see him conveying the truth of the kingdom to people as he went. He wasn't frantically gathering crowds or fixing all the systemic challenges of the communities according to his human understanding. He wasn't doing any of that. He was loving those who came to him. He was picking up promptings from the Father. That doesn't mean don't engage with the systemic problems of our community. It doesn't mean don't gather people together to hear the words of Jesus. It just means do it in his strength and not mine. That's what that means. He wasn't frantically doing it. Jesus was never frantic. That's the difference between his tension and mine. As I get frantic in mine, I start running around trying to get everything right. Fix all the problems. This humbles me. Jesus didn't even fix all the social problems of the, of the place where he was. He came to fix a bigger problem. And he did it. So with all of our systemic problems, they're even in the Bible. If you're, if you're reading through Genesis, boy, what a train wreck. What a train wreck the people of God are. And in these moments, sometimes I'm like, why would I share this with anybody? Like, this is what, this, this, hey, look at my faith. (laughs) Look at this. Look at what a mess I am. Look at how great Jesus is that he still came. I was grappling. I was with Chris Manginelli this week, and we were just talking through this. And I said, yeah, man, what a mess. And he said, yeah. Humanity tells on itself all the time in the scriptures. All the time. That's how I want to be. I'll just tell on myself when I'm batting three hundred and I can't say I'm batting a thousand man. I'm just blessed, bro. It's all good. I want to tell on myself. Scripture tells on itself and it makes a big deal out of Jesus. Not the sin. It makes a big deal out of Jesus. That's what I got. That's what I'm learning. That's where I'm at right now on day twelve. So we've been in this a little bit. We've invited people into a process that's going to look very much like the way God is calling you into it. You might wonder about why is there not more boundaries and rules and regulations about the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because that's exactly what we're trying to get away from. We're just trying to help people get a little closer to Jesus than we were before. So in your meanderings and your wanderings around in some of these spaces, in fact, in just a minute we're going to take some time to talk with one another about how this is going or how it isn't going. Feel free to be like, I'm not doing this, and here's why. Or I don't even know how to do it. Or it, maybe you have a question or a blockage in the way something that's... I don't even know how to get into the Bible. I get into it I fall asleep. Can you help me? That's what we're here for. We're going to take about 10 minutes in just a minute and just talk to each other about how it's going in our walk with Jesus and if we need a little help. Or we want to share something that's of an encouragement. We're just growing. We're just following after Him. We're going to give ourselves an opportunity to do a little bit of this together. Trevor Loya and his team at Terrace Foursquare, about 15 miles down the road, has put together a really good guide, and he said, steal it. So we did. And um, this is the seven days of prayer and fasting devotional exercise. And the hope is that we'll do this together this week. They decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool if in one week we read a whole book of the Bible? First John, super short, really easy. Really short, not really easy to do all the things that it asks us to do. But it tells you a little bit about prayer and fasting in here. If you want to work on that devotion, that practice, it tells you a little bit about that. And then it just has day one through day seven. I think it goes through day seven. Full transparency, I haven't even read this yet. I just trusted Trevor. Someone tell me, is there seven days in this thing? Okay, thank you. I do know it goes through First John because I did spend about 45 seconds looking at it. But it's going to give us an opportunity to read together the word and maybe talk to each other. And then there's some repetition in this. You'll you'll notice that most of these pages are actually the same except for where it says read John first first John one first John two first John three. Take ten minutes to reflect on the passage, reflect on it. Just sit in it, see what happens. Journal your thoughts and your observations, and then take ten minutes to respond. To Matthew 4 4, where Jesus proclaims it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we do that, we will have spent over an hour reflecting on Matthew 4 4. We have spent over an hour reflecting on each chapter in this passage this week. We give God more time. It's amazing what he does with it. This will be a challenge. If you can do two days of this, go for it. It'll be better than none. But this is something that we're going to do together. And then as you would this week, would you please, if you're interested in sharing something next week about what God is showing you, just email me, chris at southevert.org, and say, hey, this is what I'm learning. Is there a chance that I could share for a minute just what I'm learning? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to do that together. Amen? Amen. see if I had one last thing. I can't remember. Yeah. And as we're doing this, just ask ourselves, what, what does the limitation look like for me this week? If I'm going to limit myself, what's that look like? How am I going to limit my consumption? And how would I know if it's actually limiting? I asked myself that question this week. How do I know? Um, I know it's limiting if it creates a sense of dependency and makes me feel vulnerable. That's how I know if I'm, if I'm limiting myself. So, um, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for, for worship. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. As, as we gather now in small groups for just the next five to ten minutes and share with each other what we're learning, what's hard about being a devoted follower of Jesus, as we pray to encourage one another. Lord, we pray for healing to come. We, we know that as we pray, you intercede and you talk to the Father on our behalf. And isn't that miraculous, Lord? So do what you would with your church. God, we, we want to do a lot of things. We want to raise up kids. We want to disciple young people we want to be generous towards our community and to connect casino road and just be present and available. But God, we can't do it without you. So we stop again and take a little time and, and be with you and be with each other. Lord bless us as we go this week in Jesus name. Amen. All right. I'm going to have, have just groups break up into, into groups, three or four together, maybe meet somebody new across the room. If you're feeling really adventurous or just stay with who you're, who you're with, but we're asking ourselves, What's going well in my devotional practice? What's something I've learned in this, in this period of time? Or what do I need help with in moving forward with prayer and fasting? Amen? Ready? Go. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.